0: Welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. It's episode 40, and we're picking up the plywood series, if you will and I'm gonna be talking about the cores. I kind of saved this one, well, not for last. Next episode, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the glue, but then I'm going to kind of bring in some questions from the audience. I've certainly been getting some questions about plywood over the last couple of weeks, which reminds me, if you do have questions about plywood, next show, I'm definitely going to be addressing them. So make sure you get over to lumberupdate.com. There's a form there where you can submit your questions. You can also track me down on Instagram, and I can you can submit your questions there as well. That's Lumber Update as well on Instagram. So definitely get your questions in. I'll be recording that show probably about two weeks from when this airs. Um, and if you miss that window, get your questions in anyway. There's always a lot of questions about plywood. But this week I want to talk about really, well, pun intended, the core of plywood issues. Most of the problems that people have with plywood in the past and, 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 you know, gripes that people constantly have with plywood has mostly to do with the core. Certainly, we've all run into the situation where the face veneer is so thin and you sand right through it. But the other issues that we run into, like delamination and voids and, and the really common ones, like out of flatness, that's because of the core. think about it the face veneer is so thin we've already complained about that right so how much how how much does that really affect the dimensional stability how much does that affect the the strength the screw holding the the flatness of the entire um, sheet of plywood very very little it's all about the core So first, we're going to talk about the different types of core that you're going to find out there, some of them more readily available than others. Then we're going to talk about kind of the individual properties of those cores. And there's several things that we would kind of rank on that. And that we may be getting into the weeds a little bit. And probably on LumberUpdate.com, on the blog post for this particular episode, I'll be posting a chart which may make some of this audio a little bit easier to follow along. And then we're going to talk about Some of the issues in production that can cause some of these problems and some of the things to think about when you're buying a sheet of plywood, some of the things to think about specifically with the core, or, you know, it doesn't help if you've already had a problem, but if you've had a problem, you can kind of diagnose what caused that by having an understanding about that production process. So let's talk about the types of cores. Well, the most common that that most people have experienced with is just veneer core, right? You've taken your veneers and you're laying them cross 90 degree grain direction to one another, laying them up and then putting a back veneer and a face veneer on it. When it comes to hardwood plywood, at least in North America, you're going to find fir core, you're going to find poplar core, you'll find aspen core and... You know, some hardwood species, cherry or walnut or whatever, the decorative species on the front and the back. The key always is that you've got an odd number of plies so that you are balanced. You've got that center ply and, a, and an equal number of plies on either side of that center ply for a nice balanced panel. That's important. Next, you you start talking about Composite core, So you can have a particle board core. So it's just a block of particle board with a back and a front face veneer on it. Or you can have an MDF core. That's the same thing. It's just substitute the particle board with a big hunk of MDF right in the middle. You can have lumber core where now instead of thin veneers, you've actually got thicker staves of lumber. Generally, these staves are one, one and a half, even sometimes two inches wide, and they're glued together in a panel. So imagine making a, a panel for a piece of furniture out of solid wood. You glue together two, three, four, maybe five pieces to make that side of a bookshelf or a dining table or top. It's the same thing here, but now we've, we're using really, really thin staves and gluing them together and then putting a face veneer, or sometimes you'll have a lumber core with a crossband. And remember, a crossband in plywood speak is that material that's running 90 degrees to the long axis. So we look at that long axis, that eight foot dimension usually is that long axis and your veneers are running that way longitudinally. Your crossbands are running 90 degrees to that. So you can have a lumber core with just a face veneer on top and a back veneer on the bottom, or you can have a lumber core with a cross banded veneer. just above and below again balanced around that lumber core center you'll have a 90 degree crossband that's some type of veneer and then you'll have 90 degrees to that again running with a long axis the face veneer and the back veneer and the reason i bring that up is that's considered a combi core even though it's it's all solid lumber it's a combination of core where you've got a thicker bit i.e in this case the lumber core and then a thinner bit, the crossbands right underneath the face veneer. So that brings us to some of the other combi cores that we're going to find out there. You can have a an MDF combi core where the uh, the center is that hunk of MDF, and then you've got veneer crossbands flanking that on either side of that, and then the face veneer and the back veneer or you can have the opposite, where you've got a veneer core center and then an MDF crossband above and below that, just beneath the face veneer and the back veneer. They're two very different things. It's a combination core, um, in that instance, it's a combination core with composite crossbands because those, even though there really isn't a grain direction to MDF, the crossbands sit just beneath the face veneer and the back veneer. So a combi core with MDF crossbands means those crossbands sit just below the face veneer or a combination core plywood with a composite inner ply, that's the opposite, where the MDF sits in the middle with veneer crossbands on either side of that, just beneath the face veneer and the back veneer. Now, these are kind of the primary um, combinations, if you will. You'll find some other materials. Sometimes you'll find phenolic thrown in there. You'll also find some fire rated materials and some marine materials as well, but they all tend to be the same type of organization. You've either got a fully composite core fully veneer core or a combination of the two, or I should say a, a, a lumber core. So composite core, veneer core, lumber core, or combinations thereof, where you've got cross-banding thrown into the situation there. So really, what, what are we talking about here? What, did, what, did this, what does this mean? Why would we mess around with this so much? Well, the core things that we're really looking for in a sheet of plywood, we want some flatness. We do want some some... Edge continuity. And that's when we talk about voids and things like that. The appearance of the edge, the visual appearance of the edge, the, the quality of that edge is important. The surface uniformity, how, you know, we're talking about flatness, but then also is the surface itself, does it undulate at all? Can you see uh, voids telegraphed into the surface? Uh, dimensional stability, certainly. We think of plywood as being very dimensionally stable, but the different types of core are more, dim- more stable than others. Screw holding, very, very important. Um, the bending strength, certainly. And then of course, you know, availability is important. You can find these really crazy combinations of cores that provide the best of all these worlds, but they're very hard to get. And they also can be very expensive, which actually goes hand in hand. If it's hard to get, the price is gonna be even more expensive because nobody's gonna be carrying it in large quantities. And if you're asking a factory to actually to to lay out that weird combination of cores, that's going to mean a stoppage of normal production and a specific custom run. And yeah, anytime you put custom in front of plywood, oh, yeah, the price goes up exponentially. So those are some things to think about. So when we talk about particle board, having that particle board core again, face veneer, particle board, back veneer from top to bottom, that's how that's put together. Well, from a flatness perspective, it is excellent. Because again, particle board, it's a composite, entirely composite. Very, very flat material. The edge quality is good. I mean, particle board doesn't look all that pretty, but at least there's not going to be voids there. So we consider that good. Surface uniformity, however, would be excellent. The same reason that that particle board core is so flat, it's also going to be very, very smooth, and you're not going to get any lumps and bumps telegraphing through the face veneer. Now, dimensional stability of it is actually only fair. Because there's so much material in there and really so much ingrain and, and there's, it's a quite porous material. There can be quite a bit of, of expansion and contraction and there is no structural stability to the whole thing. You know, there are no long grain fibers in particle board. It's just a bunch of really, really short fibers chopped up into little pieces. So there's no beam strength at all. And the thing can warp and move with changes in humidity without really any spine. That's the way to put it. There's no spine to particle board. It's just a bunch of termite barf that's thrown into some glue, pressed and heated until you get this block of something. So once you start introducing moisture, not a lot of stability there. Likewise, the screw holding is really only fair for that same reason. You have no continuous grain. You really have nothing to kind of grab and hold on to the screw. Now, the bending strength is, it's good, um, you know, because again, there's no spine, but I think what you're going to run into, the reason it's not excellent is because there's no spine, you'll find that it will break and and splinter as you get, you know, up, up to more extreme bends. But you can find it pretty much anywhere. So that's pretty good. Now let's talk about the MDF core. MDF core has excellent flatness. It's got excellent uh, uh, edge uh, um, quality to it. It's got an excellent surface uniformity. Again, all the same reasons that the particle board has these, these great surface uniformity. But again, that MDF edge is going to be much prettier than the particle board. Dimensional stability is also fair. Again, no spine to this stuff. It's a composite material. It's going to absorb moisture really easily. Screw holding is good. It's a little bit better than the particle board because of the, the fine nature of the fibers of MDF it means that you know it's, it's a little bit denser. Well, not a little bit. It's a lot denser. So you're going to have some better screw holding. Bending strength, it's good. It's not really a material you want to think of as far as uh, putting it into into bending situations. Now let's look at the traditional veneer core, what most people think of. Flatness, it's only fair. Um, Edge quality, it's good. But again, there can be a lot of voids in there. So it's certainly not going to rate much higher than that. Surface uniformity is fair. You think about this is an organic Product and all those growth rings and everything can telegraph through the wood and give you just a fair surface uniformity. Now, dimensional stability is excellent. You think about why we create plywood in the first place. All that cross banding that we're doing is creating that nice. Um, dimensional stability. That's the whole reason that plywood was created in the first place. So veneer core, way up there. Excellent on the stability. Screw holding, excellent. Again, each one of those veneers has that continuous long grain, that spine to it. So you're going to get these, these, the spine, if you will, running 90 degree directions to one another. It's going to create an incredible screw holding ability. And for the same reason, it's really, it's excellent from a bending strength perspective. So, you know, A lot of people, uh, there's a reason that veneer core plywood is around and continues to be around and technological improvements with composites have not replaced it because it is ridiculously strong. Um, Really, really great for bending and uh, great stability as well. So now let's look at lumber core. Well, from a flatness perspective, it's just good. You think about it, it's solid wood inside. It's going to have some some warpage that goes on to it. Edge quality good. Surface uniformity is fair, again, for the same reason you have with veneer core that growth rings may telegraph through. Dimensional stability, good, not, you know, because you've got thicker bits of lumber in the middle. It's going to move and not stay quite as flat as the veneer core stuff. Screw holding, outstanding. (laughs) It's probably the best when it comes to screw holding, just like solid wood is outstanding at screw holding. You've got this solid lumber stave core in the middle absolutely outstanding bending strength outstanding and this is really where lumber core does its job Um, and often was used for furniture and things like like bookcases and things where you had larger spans that needed to stay perfectly flat and needed to be really really rigid i shouldn't say stay perfectly flat but need to stay rigid it needs to be um and, and we think of bending strength as does it bend well It's the opposite as well. When it's got a high bending strength, it means that it takes a lot of force to actually bend it and it takes a lot of force to actually break it when you bend it. Um, You go back to the episode about modulus of rupture and modulus of elasticity. In a lumber core plywood, those numbers are both very, very high. It's a very rigid panel, outstanding for spanning longer distances without sag. So think about a bookshelf. And if you've got a 36 inch span, you've got to put books on it, this is gonna stand up better to the SAG over the months and years than anything else. So now when we get into the combi cores, we can start to make guesses about how, how are they going to be better. So a combination core with composite crossband. So again, combi core with just say MDF crossband. So the MDF sits right below the surface. Well, from a flatness perspective, very, very good because we've got that combination. We've got um, uh, alternating grain between the veneer core and the, and the MDF. The edge quality is good. I mean, you're going to have different species in there or species, different materials because you've got man-made material and, and natural material. But the surface uniformity is excellent because we've got the MDF just below the face veneer and the back veneer. So. We're borrowing some of the stability and some of the rigidity of veneer core having that in the center, but we're removing the poor surface uniformity by having the veneer just below the face veneer. We're putting that MDF in the crossband there. Dimensional stability, you lose a little bit because now you're putting that moisture sucking MDF right near the surface. But screw holding is excellent. So the screw holding goes up dramatically from from the MDF because now you've got that spine, that, that natural wood veneer core right in the middle. And bending strength is excellent as well. Now flip that around and say you've got a combi core with the composite on the inside. So from top to bottom, you've got face veneer, you've got veneer core, you've got MDF, veneer core, and then back veneer. Here we've got flatness eh, it's just good. Edge quality it's fair, it's not really that great. Surface uniformity good. You're dropping it again because you're putting that organic material that that natural wood on the outside. Stability is good. Screw holding is good. Bending strength is good. This is kind of honestly a bad idea. And from an availability perspective, it's very very limited. I I, I know somebody thought, okay, well, we put the MDF crossbands in and that makes a really, really good product. What happens if we flip it around and we put the MDF in the middle? We can end up with a much, much flatter material. And I think the experiment just failed. So you're going to find that the composite interply with veneer crossbands is Very, very rare. You're not gonna find a lot of companies still making it anymore. And honestly, I can't really come up with a solid case for why I would want to do that. So I I put it to you, dear listener, if anybody out there has used a composite core with a veneer crossband and liked it for one reason or another, for a specific reason, let me know. You know, write in and 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 tell me why, because I just I think this was a mistake, and again, that's why you don't find it anymore. And from there, as I said, you can kind of jigger the, the um, components and make some fire-resistant stuff. You can make some moisture-resistant stuff. You can throw in phenolic layers, which, again, can also play into the fire resistance. But for the most part, that's what we're talking about. That's the, the elements. And when you think about what is it I need, go all the way back to the first episode in this, in this series about plywood, what do I need? You know, how do I know what kind of plywood to buy? Well, what's important to me? you know, surface uniformity is really important because I'm building a boat and I'm going to lay fiberglass over top of it. So I've got to have a really, really flat, um, uniform surface to go underneath that fiberglassing. Well, then, you know, MDF might be a good idea, but uh, you know what? MDF is really heavy and that's not a good idea on a boat. Plus it sucks up moisture like crazy. So maybe that's not a good idea. But if we were to use uh, MDF crossbands and more for that matter make a water resistant or marine MDF as your crossbands now that would give you a really really good panel or if if rigidity is really important because you're building a bookcase then a lumber core solution would be good for you if you just want you know you don't really care about flatness because you're going to be screwing this down to like think of sheathing you're going to be screwing that down to a stud structure flatness doesn't really matter but screw holding is really big. Well, guess what? That's why veneer core plywood gets used for sheathing so much. Um, likewise, you'll find OSB, uh, and we didn't actually talk about that, but technically it's a composite core. And OSB, because you've got longer chips, that oriented strand board, those longer chips will add a lot more bending strength and better screw holding ability. And oftentimes you will find sheathing that is OSB or a combination of a veneer core and an OSB core. It's kind of like the particle board idea. So here again, you need to think about what type of material for the core is going to best suit your application and moreover, what type of of organization of the core. Can you get away with just an all veneer core? Do you need a combination core? Can you get away with just all composite core? These are the things that that you need to think about and it goes back to what is it I need What type of product do I need? What are the important factors for me? Flatness, stability, um, um, uh, face continuity, uh, uh, edge continuity. What if your edges are exposed? You want that edge to look really nice. Or what if you're going to be maybe putting an edge banding around it. Well if you've got a bunch of voids and you've got kind of a weird uh, combination of things underneath, combination of materials underneath, you might have some adhesion issues. You might also have swelling issues. You know, MDF again sucks up moisture really quickly. So you've got a combi core and you put a thin veneer banding on the sides, it will actually the the MDF will swell a lot more than veneer core and you can end up with kind of wavy edges on that thin banding, because again, it's going to telegraph through the banding. So again, all little things that you need to think about. So let's talk about production. Um, Face veneers, we, we hinted on some of this. When you're talking about making a veneer core plywood, you have to get some continuity in your plies, your individual plies. So for the most part, you're going to find that your plies have been peeled. They've been rotary cut. Going back to the face veneer episode and we talk about the different ways of cutting veneer or slicing veneer, rotary cut is pretty much what most people do because that's what's going to yield the most materials, the best yield from the log. And since the appearance of the core doesn't matter at all, it's gonna be you know, covered with a face veneer, peeling it on a lathe, um, a rotary cut is really the best way to go but that's also going to yield a lot of defects. So veneer plies, they will be graded for for course. It's a totally different grading system and a lot of it has to do with the sizes of the defects, the number of voids that may show up, the number of voids that are allowed in the ply itself, the number of patches that are allowed and the size of the patches, those little football shaped patches you see, not only the number but the size of those will play into the grade of that veneer. So certainly a higher grade veneer is going to give you um, possibly a better sheet. Again, it depends upon your application. When I go to look at uh, BS-1088 Marine Corps uh, Marine ply, in order for it to be British Standard 1088, again, the highest standard of Marine grade ply, it must be rotary cut because they're they're cannot be any seams. You can't stitch anything together. If you stitch together parts of the core, that's a spot for water to get in. Moreover, there can be no defects. There can be no patches in a BS-1088 core. Because again, a football patch or a void is a spot where water can get in and water can stand and cause a piece of plywood to fail, aka delaminate. So Marine Corps BS-1088 plywood That, in order to meet that, it's got to be like the highest grade. It's basically the same as like a a double-A face veneer. Zero defects, rotary cut always. And usually in marine-grade plywood, because of that need and because of the way that composite materials don't like moisture that much, most marine-grade plywood is veneer core. But again, depending on if it's BS-1088 or something less than that, some other standard beneath that, you will find really, really high quality veneers underneath that. So the veneer is peeled for the most part. You will find some outlying examples where it's not peeled. But for the most part, it's peeled and it's graded based upon the number of defects in there. Those defects are either patched or they're listed as too small to be patched. Then they are dried. And they must be absolutely dried to uniformity, like the entire flitch, the entire log is peeled out and it's dried to the same consistent dryness. Then the higher quality panels will actually be sanded, not for the the quality of the surface, but to get... A consistent thickness, because as you're peeling off that log, you know who knows what can drive variance in thickness just based upon the density of the log itself. So you run it through essentially a big giant drum sander, and it's going to level everything out and get it to a consistent thickness. So then it's actually sliced and cut into its into its not quite four by eight, a little bit larger than four by eight pieces, and it is then for the most part dried again. You know, it's been sanded to a consistent thickness. Now it's going to be dried to a consistent dryness from edge to edge, center all the way out. No warm, moist, gooey center here. Same dryness all the way throughout. And you can do that because you're talking about thin plies. You know, it's really hard to do that with thicker lumber because, you know, that moist, gooey center, because this stuff is so thin, it's it's relatively easy to get it to consistent dryness. Now you actually start assembling the panel and you're stacking and alternating your grain and you're positioning those sheets those individual plies to make sure that you don't have overlapping voids if there's a void on one sheet that is within allowable spec that it doesn't line up with a void on another sheet and again there are certain grades that will actually allow for two voids within a certain distance but as far as I know there is no grade low enough that will allow voids to overlap from one ply to another in other words a really thick void you know two plies thick of void that's not allowed. Um, if it is, it's in a grade that that I don't know that anybody even manufactures because it just it, it wouldn't it's not it wouldn't do any good. It would be really poor quality. So once you've started stacking those plies, you can then do a visual inspection of the edges because obviously you can't you know see everything through. If you've graded your plies appropriately and kept your your voids or your unpatched defects within grade, you kind of know what you're going to get when you start stacking it. But then you need to visually inspect around the edges and see, are there any voids lining up? And if so, that's got to be corrected. Then they that stack that is saying, okay, this is going to be a sheet, that stack is then disassembled, but kept in order. And then it's run across through the glue machine and they run through and essentially glue is sprayed onto the surface. Imagine just a big hvlp gun uniformly spraying glue across the surface as the sheets go together then that pack or that that panel if you will is restacked together in the original order that where it was inspected and then it's put under heat and under intense pressure and it's flattened out and it's essentially allowed the gear the glue to cure at that point the face veneers are added Because again, they're gonna do another visual inspection after that initial pressing has been done. Face veneers are added, that's glued on, that's pressed, and then there's final trimming to that final four by eight size, or in some instances, five by 10 size for some Baltic birch that's available out there. That's kind of the the full process. And what you're gonna find is there are certain mills, there are certain products where uh, steps may be skipped sometimes the sanding isn't done of the veneers. And that's why you can get inconsistent thickness from one sheet to another or moreover from one side of a panel to another because that sanding step is skipped. Well, when you skip that step, you can lower the cost of production for that panel and make the you know, the purchase price even lower. Sometimes the visual inspection of the edges is skipped or maybe done by a machine instead of by a person. There's any number of steps, any number of things in that that Ideal world, all the steps that I outlined, that would be the ideal, the perfect, you know, highest of high-end panel. There's all kinds of things that corners that can be cut along the way to increase the, the, or decrease rather, the time to produce a panel, and more importantly, increase the number of panels per hour that can be produced, you know, from the glue to uh, how uniformly dry and how low, what moisture percentage those individual veneers are taken down to. You can imagine there's a lot of variables in that and just jiggering them slightly could add, you know, a second to the production time or reduced a second to the production time. And then over the course of a day, allow you to add three, four, five, 100 more panels out of a production run. And that can certainly affect the the cost, right? You know, if you're producing 100 more panels in the same amount of time, you're going to be able to sell those panels either for more or you're going to sell them for the same price but make a higher profit. Lots of little things and little variables that can be played with. But as I've always said, plywood is a man-made, a manufactured product. And it's not a mistake that a step is skipped or a step is foreshortened. It's a conscious decision in order to control a price point. So, you know, oftentimes I kind of poo-poo Chinese plywood because it's relatively crappy. Well, we have asked the Chinese to meet a certain price point. You know, okay, China, you want to bring some plywood into this market? We need you to make a $27 panel. Okay, you know the Chinese look at the production process, and they basically remove a little bit here, remove a little bit there, speed up the conveyor belt for the glue, so the glue goes on even thinner, so glue stretches further, speeds up the the, the time to produce that panel. Little things like that, that are jiggered around in order to um, decrease the cost to produce it, and then they come back and say, okay, here's your $27 a sheet panel. Well, you know, how is it different? You know, when a face value, it's a veneer core panel. It's using Douglas fir throughout. It's balanced. You know, here's the face veneers, all that stuff. And it still can be dimensionally, stability can be awful. Turns into a potato chip immediately because those cores weren't dried all the way or they weren't dried consistently. Or the glue is applied inconsistently. It's thinner in some areas than others. So um, more moisture in one part of the panel over the uh, the rest of the panel, causing that moisture gradient, which causes the whole thing to warp. Number of things. And this is not like, oh, this is poorly, crappily made. No, this is made to spec. This is made because someone said, here's the price point you've got to hit. So You know and and I'm, i'm actually believe it or not i'm defending the foreign mills because all they're doing is trying to find their place in the market you know certainly they're able to produce things cheaper because of lower labor costs but plywood is nothing new the production process has been the same for a while the most um significant change to plywood in the last probably 100 years is the type of glue we use because the NAUF and formaldehyde regulations that now allow, uh, that now basically say you can't use the old glue anymore and most people have switched to a soy-based glue to keep that formaldehyde emission down in order to be CARB or, or TOSCA compliant. That's really the, the major um, technological change. I mean, certainly you can talk about composite materials and things like that, but we figured all that out. And there are computer systems and automations that's being done to produce these things. And you can you can just imagine some guy sitting in a massive control booth, turning a knob a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right to speed up the conveyor belt to the glue in order to shave three seconds off a production run, which adds up over time, you know, and it thins the glue out a little bit. Or turning a knob in order to change the atomization of that glue to thin out the glue, to stretch that glue a little bit further. Um, Think about the same thing, turning up the kiln just a little bit when it's drying those or speeding up the conveyor belt as those leaves go through the kiln in order to get them through faster, but maybe not dry them as uniformly. Skipping the sanding step. All of this stuff is very calculated changes to the production process that will change your price point. So this takes me again back to the first episode in this series. What's important to you? And if you've had success in the past... What did you pay for that panel? So you should probably be paying the same amount. Give or take a couple of dollars. If you're finding a panel that is dramatically more expensive or dramatically cheaper, it's not going to be the same thing. It can look the same. It could even look the same on paper. You know, you could say, "Oh, same number of plies, same species used, same glue being used, but it's cheaper." Why is it cheaper? It doesn't It's not just magic. You know, there's not somebody who just suddenly got very generous and said, you know what, Vern, let's cut $10 off the price of this sheet. No, that's not happening. There's something that has changed in the production process. And therefore, price really, it's a, maybe if it's not your number one guide, it's number two. Number one should be what's important to you. Because, you know, you can have everything in a piece of plywood, but you're going to pay through the nose for that. That perfect, ideal, perfectly manufactured panel yeah, you're going to pay $300 a sheet for that panel or 380. I've seen $500 a panel for like the Shangri-La of plywood where every box is checked and every box is triple checked from a quality control perspective. And the grade of everything is the highest grade possible. Okay. Yeah. $500 a sheet. Well, that's just not realistic. What you need to figure out is what's important to you and find something that's going to meet that important thing whatever that element is, flatness, screw holding, whatever. And then you start looking at price and you start figuring, okay, well, I really can't afford $300 a sheet. There's no way I can I can quote this project for that. There's no way I can convince the wife to allow for that. Or you've got past experience. I paid $70 for this sheet in the past and I had a good experience with it. You know, I ran in some voids here and there, but it wasn't really a big issue. I found good dimensional stability. And if you're making furniture, things like that, or you're, you're routing um Or or using a table saw to cut dados, the consistency of the thickness that gives people fits. People are always complaining about the fact that you've got to use those weird shims in your dado stack because it's not actually three quarters of an inch thick. Well, it also may not be the same thickness from one side of the sheet to the other. And that's because you bought a cheaper panel. So price and the elements to consider, those are important. And if you're not finding something through experience that's working for you, step back and look at okay, what could be skipped in the production process? And now I'm gonna go searching for a more expensive sheet. If I find one that's $10 more, ask your dealer, why is this $10 more than this panel here? And you know what, they may not know. Cut the local guy at the local lumberyard some slack because they probably didn't buy it um, and even their buyer may not quite know. But you can dig a little bit deeper and you can find out who manufactured the panel. Um, what actually, you know, who, who made it? It's Columbia Forest Products. Okay, well, what does Columbia Forest Products call this particular sheet? They must have a model number or, or a particular brand name for it. Then you can go online and you can see what is it, what, how is this produced? Why is this different from the other products in Columbia Forest line? Or, you know, Fess Hall carries a whole bunch of unusual Core type products. Well, how is this product different from this product? And if you know who makes it, and what that manufacturer actually calls that particular panel, you can dig in, you can find out, okay, these are the steps they're going through in the production process. And they're sanding this product, but they're not sanding this product. So that's why product A is more expensive than product B. And you're going to know because they're spending time to sand it, I'm going to have a more um a consistent or uniform thickness throughout. And more than likely, a more dimensionally stable panel because all of your veneers are going to be the same thickness. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns here. And the important thing is understanding how these products are made and understanding how these corners can be cut. And that sounds so nefarious, right? No, somebody's in there cutting corners in order to make a quick buck. <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's going on, right? I mean, you assume the worst in people, but really it's 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 intelligent jiggering of the elements in order to meet a price point. So just recognize that. And again, recognize that we, the consumers, are the ones that are complaining and moaning about how expensive it is. And boy, I wish I could find a panel that was fifty dollars. Well, if the market says that enough, somebody's gonna produce a panel that's fifty dollars. And Is it going to be lower quality than a $70 panel? Hell yes, absolutely. But you know what? The market demanded a $50 panel. So, you know, speak and the manufacturer listens. So, you know, it's, it's just economics, right? So it's not really something we can complain about. We just have to understand how we go about finding a better sheet of plywood if that is actually what we need. So there's a lot to be considered. And honestly, I mean, I say this a lot with plywood, but this is literally tip of the iceberg. There are so many grading rules around the core, um, uh, the, the veneer ply and core, but there's a bunch of grading rules that apply with even the combi core. You know, how is the MDF manufactured? And that gets into a whole other rabbit hole. So there's a lot of different things to consider here. The important part is when you're looking at the type of core, think about what that core does well. And again, I'm going to post the the chart that I walked through that shows, you know, this is good at at, at at bending and excellent at screw holding. I'm going to post that chart over on Lumber Update for this particular episode, because I think you know I went through it relatively quickly, but having it visually really help you understand that as well. And that that chart is actually coming straight out of the Hardwood Plywood Handbook. It's uh, uh, put out by HPVA. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago. I'll even link to that again as well if you're interested in picking up a copy. So that'll do it for core. Again, next week, folks, I'm going to open things up to plywood questions. I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about glue, maybe five, 10 minutes. Knowing me, I could stretch that the 10 minutes, but there's some things to be mentioned about glue as we get into regulations and we'll cover that next week. But otherwise, send in your questions. Now's the time to take what you've learned from these episodes about plywood and send me some educated questions <laughs> or uneducated questions. Those are always fun too. So there we go, folks. That wraps up episode number 40. Thanks for listening and go buy some plywood.